You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. It is a sweltering 100 degrees out here. Some of you guys are already sweating like myself. I wore a black shirt today because so that when I put my hands out, you won't see too many sweat marks, hopefully, in my shirt. But we have one more week that we're going through the Old Testament. And so I want to lead us in that this morning as we look at the book of Nehemiah. A couple months ago, uh, probably three or four months at this point, although my time has all been shifted up over the last year and a half, Chris, Sarah, and I were having a conversation and laughing because in Chris Gonzalez's calendar... On May 5th, 2020, he had planned a meeting that said post-COVID planning meeting. May 5th, 2020. Because, you know, when, the, when COVID first started, at least here's the wave came through the U.S., it was like, oh, things will just shut down for a couple of weeks, and then we'll just kind of get back to normal. And in some ways, it's like a snowstorm, right? And so, yeah, May 5th, post-COVID planning meeting. Well, we stand now 18 months later. And probably now you could have more of a post-COVID planning meeting. It's been less of a snowstorm and more of a mini ice age, as Andy Crouch has said early on. And things have been radically disrupted for us in many ways. Maybe not just for health, but our jobs, our rhythms. Uh, Many ways there's been this opportunity we have in the midst of great sadness and sorrow and suffering to reform our lives, to rebuild something of our lives. And so I want to give us some vision this morning from the book of Nehemiah of what rebuilding could look like for us the next 18 months. We've been in 18 months of disruption. We have some friends visiting from San Francisco. They might have another 18 months of disruption, so you guys can just hold this for later on. But here, at least in Arizona, what would the next 18 months look like? What are the things we want to commit to as a people, as individuals that could shape us moving forward uh, to seek renewal for ourselves and for our city? And so if you have um, a Bible with you, I would love for you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. I sent you a Bible project video this week from the book of Nehemiah. Hopefully you had a chance to watch that. We'll give you some context. Let me give you three words of further context as we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 8. The three words are exile, return, and rebuild. Exile, return, and rebuild. Exile. God's people have been in exile. Exile is the idea that they've been forcibly displaced from their home, to another foreign empire. We see the different prophets. We talked about Daniel a couple weeks ago who was in the Babylonian empire, displaced. That's what happens with God's people is they were disobedient to God. They were displaced among the nations. But then two, return. Throughout the Old Testament, God uses particularly people that don't know Him, even kings and queens, to be His instruments to bring about His people back to the land, back to Jerusalem. He uses the king of Persia, and gives favor to God's people to return to the land. And once they return, gives us that third word, rebuild. There were three waves of people that returned to the land. First was led by Zerubbabel. It's a cool name if you want to name one of your kids after him. Zerubbabel, he led a group of people to rebuild the temple. That was the first thing they did. The second group of people were led by a guy named Ezra. Ezra was bringing back the people and he was going to rebuild the community and form the community as God's people once again as the temple was being rebuilt. And then the third wave of people are led by the guy we're going to look at today, or at least the story, Nehemiah. 
and Nehemiah was charged with rebuilding the walls of the city to protect from foreign enemies. Exile, return, and rebuild. And so as we jump into Nehemiah 8, the walls have been rebuilt, and God's people are celebrating, and in many ways looking forward, I would say, to what they should give themselves to, how their lives should be formed as they rebuild their communal life together. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to some people around you. You're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 8. I want somebody in your group to read through the whole passage. I think it's 17 or 18 verses. So read through Nehemiah chapter 8. And I want you to ask the question, what do you see from how Israel responded? How could that be an example or a template for how we would respond today as we seek to rebuild and return in many ways and look forward to what the next 18 months could look like? So what about Israel's response in Nehemiah chapter 8 could instruct us about how we should respond as God's people in our time and place. So read Nehemiah chapter 8 and then process that question and I'll get a couple uh, answers from you after a couple minutes. Alright? Ready, set, go. Alright, at least one person hopefully has had a chance to maybe reflect in the pattern that you see. Let me hear from you. What's a pattern you see from Nehemiah chapter 8 of how God's people responded then and how maybe would equip us to respond now in our time and place? What do you guys think? What did you see from the past? This is a really powerful chapter of the Bible. Yeah, so they're, they're pausing in some way to feast together. They celebrate a feast. Awesome, yeah. There's an act of celebration. Great. What else? Yes, go for it, Nate. And then Ryan, he tried to cut you off. What were you going to say, Nate? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, getting back to that original purpose, God's people were never to be for themselves, but always for the sake of others. Abraham was blessed to then be a blessing to the nations. Absolutely. And through the attentive, attentiveness to God's word and celebration. Ryan, were you going to say something different? Uh, yeah. So I was going to say what was interesting to me was that they were actually participating in a simple Yeah. Which I think was a callback to uh, the flood. Okay. So they've spent time weeping and probably yeah. acknowledging their own brokenness, but then when they spent time rejoicing, they're going out and they're uh, picking the symbols out from the field of God's providence and protection. Mm -hmm. And then so they're building a shelter out of that and then they're living in that mm -hmm. shelter of God's Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really embodied celebration where they're living in these temporary shelters to remember when God first liberated them from Egypt and then brought them to the promised land. Yeah. You guys are already hitting the main points I want you to see from this passage, but let me give you three. Three ways I feel like this passage will instruct, will uh, form us, will shape us to be a people that rebuild for the next 18 months. 
Leslie Newbegin, uh, a missiologist we quote around here a lot, he says, we are what we attend to. We are what we attend to. The question is, what are you attending to? In a sense, what are the voices that you're listening to? For some of us, we spend all week listening to a variety of different voices, whether through social media, a news agency, whether it's just uh, the music in our car as we're driving, whether it's a book that we're reading. There's all these different voices, and we're being attentive to different voices. We are what we attend to. Discipleship really is the idea of being attentive to God and what He's doing. I want you to see here from the very beginning of this passage how attentive they are to God's Word being read. Probably for hours they heard the Old Testament read and they were weeping because they were overwhelmed that God was speaking to them through His Word. They were attentive to His Word. And so for us as Missio and the many ways we want to listen to other voices, the many other things that draw for our attention, I think probably the first way we step into this next season is to, re, uh, to recommit to being attentive to God's Word. Attentive to God's Word, like Israel was here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Here's a question to think about for your family table or for your missional community. What are the top three conversations you have around the table? Like, what do you talk about most often within the life of your missional community or in the life of your family? or in the life of the house that you live in? What are the things that you're attentive to that dominate your time and conversation? Some of you are like smirking right now. I don't know if that's good or bad. But what we're talking about is a good indicator of what we're attentive to. It could be really good things. But my question, I guess, for us is, around those tables, are we attentive to what Jesus is doing and what he's inviting us into? Is that one of the conversations we're constantly processing with one another? What is Jesus doing, and how is he inviting me to partner with him? What is he trying to show me about himself? Some cool birds flying around, I guess, behind. We are what we attend to. Are you attentive to God's word? What would it look like to create a pattern this year of being attentive to what God has to say? Secondly, as we move forward in the passage, one of the things that I've uh, noticed about uh, at least my interest and even a thing that I've gotten really into over the last, I would say, five years is podcasts. And particularly with a podcast, true crime is like the thing that drives the podcast industry. Some of you guys here are probably like super into true crime podcasts. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're holier than thou. The first podcast I ever listened to was a true crime podcast. It was called Serial if you remember, wow, we even got some claps. This was like the, the, uh, the OG podcast, and then from there, all their podcasts were formed. I looked this week, uh, five out of the top six podcasts right now on Apple, the Apple Top Ten list are true crime. My question I've been asking myself is, why are we so drawn to true crime and tragedy? Why is that? There's probably a number of reasons, but I think even hardwired with our brains, we're drawn to negative news. We're drawn to uh, tragedy in some form or drama. We're drawn to conflict. It's what makes stories powerful. This is why also, too, when you go to get an uh, evaluation from somebody, they could tell you a hundred great things about yourself, and they tell you two things to work on. And what are the things that you focus on? Well, most people at least, maybe a few of us focus on the great hundred things. Mostly you'll be drawn to those two negative comments that they made. 
we're hardwired to move towards that. And yet, notice in the passage, even as how God's people were weeping and they were sad, the leaders instructed them not to weep, but to rejoice, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so not only should we be, I think, a people these next 18 months that are attentive to God's word, but secondly, we're people that celebrate and have great joy. This summer should be the most celebratory summer you've had in a really long time. The month of July should be full of gratitude and joy of the ways that God has kept you through the last 18 months and will keep you for the next 18 What would it look like for us to not move towards sadness, although that can be really good to process sometimes, but to start a habit of creating gratitude in our own hearts and celebration and joy around our tables? Like in the passage, he he said, the leader said after, "Don't, don't weep, but rejoice. Go and gather food and celebrate. Have more than enough. Have leftovers so people can come feast from your table. What would it look like for our tables to be like that? these next 18 months. Tables of celebration and joy and gratitude for what God has done in our midst and is doing. Attentiveness to God's word. Tables of celebration and joy. And then one more. A couple of weeks ago, about three now, uh, a lot of you, I feel like half of our church participated in MRF, the Memorial Day CrossFit workout. There was at least, I feel like, 40 Missio people that were participating in it. I participated in at least did a half one, and I feel like I'm still sore four weeks later. I don't know if that tells more about how bad of shape I'm in or how hard the workout was. But as different people participated, I got to see uh, up at uh, in North Scottsdale at Project 252, the Williams and Paul Barker particularly, Micah Williams and Paul Barker. Uh, not only do they do the MRF, which is a one-mile run, 300 air squats, 200 push-ups, and 100 pull-ups, plus another one-mile run, they decided to do it with a 20-pound weight vest as well and did it faster than most people that weren't wearing a weight vest at all or only doing half a MRF like myself. As I was watching them, like, this is incredible, like how good of shape both Paul and Micah are in. But here's the deal. They didn't become that overnight. Like, they didn't just decide the day before, like, I'm going to wear a 20-pound vest tomorrow and do this crazy workout. They've made a deliberate, concrete choice over a long period of time, a couple of years, to train their body in a certain way so that when it shows up on Memorial Day and they do this particular workout, they can do it with excellence and they can do it fast. If you notice in the passage, as God's people heard the Word of God read, and they were attentive to it, as they were encouraged to celebrate, they made a concrete, deliberate choice. I would say a choice of repentance to celebrate a particular festival. Some of you guys were bringing it up in what you saw. The festival of Sukkot. Sukkot was a seven-day festival that Israel were to celebrate to remember how God had liberated them in the past from Egypt and then journeyed with them across the wilderness to the promised land. In a concrete way of deliberate choice, of repentance and change, they decided to celebrate that festival, which it said had not been celebrated since the days of Joshua. So here's what I think the third point of a mark of renewal or rebuilding looks like for us. God's word, one. Two, tables of celebration. But three here, concrete acts of repentance. We live in a culture that's really good at diagnosing problems, but not actually asking us to actually take steps in obedience and response. We're really good at diagnosing what's wrong, but often not able to then take a deliberate choice to live differently 
because of what we've been, what's been revealed to us, like Israel did in this story. So what would it look like the next 18 months to take a t- concrete act of obedience, of repentance, to say, I'm going to live differently in light of who God is and what He's done. I'm going to intentionally live differently. I'm going to make a deliberate choice, much like if I was training to work out, to orient my body towards God and neighbor. I'm going to give you three examples of maybe what it could look like. One, it could be a fixed time of prayer every day. Maybe for 10 minutes. Hey, I'm going to be more attentive to God's voice. I'm going to have to do that through listening and talking to Him through prayer. So I'm going to set now for the next 18 months a deliberate choice of a concrete act of prayer every day. Two, it could be, hey, I want to grow in hospitality. And so I'm going to make it a rhythm now to invite one family or individual or a neighbor into my home every week. Every, every if you have a missional community on Wednesdays together, every Monday night, I'm going to invite somebody from our neighborhood or from the, in, in our city to come and share a meal as a deliberate choice, an act of hospitality. Or three, not just maybe hospitality or prayer. Maybe it's, hey, not only the July Sabbath, but going forward in August and then on, I'm going to practice a weekly Sabbath rhythm where I'm going to intentionally say no to some things. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to rest. I'm going to delight. And I'm going to fight to have presence with myself, with others, and with God. Like, what is that concrete thing that you can do? Simple. Not Don't think of a huge, a huge uh, a task or huge idea you have, but something really simple as an act of repentance to say, I'm going to live differently now. Would you turn real quick to the people around you And just real quick, in one sentence, what do you think that one concrete act of repentance could look like these next 18 months of your life? Attentiveness to God's Word, tables of celebration and joy, and concrete acts of repentance and obedience, trusting God wherever He might lead us. I think those could be three things that God would call us collectively as a people into the next 18 months. If you continue reading the story in Nehemiah chapter 8, you move into chapter 9, and 9 is a whole retelling of, of Israel's history, of how God has been the liberating and redeeming God. But it ends in chapter 9 with this little phrase in verse 37. It says, And we are in great distress. We are in great distress. Because although God's people had come back to the land, they were distressed because they were still under a foreign rule and power. It wasn't as if God, it wasn't yet what God had promised of blessing and flourishing that they had heard so many years ago. After this story and after the prophets have come and gone, 400 years of silence unfold and God is is quiet. And then 400 years later, in this same festival, Sukkot, that they had just practiced once again in Nehemiah, Jesus stands up in the temple and says, Come to me, all who are thirsty, for I am the water of life. And through me, rivers of living water will, throw, will flow through you. The second exodus had come. They had hoped that one day God would come again and liberate and redeem them, and that has come in Jesus. And so today we don't live in great distress but we live in celebration and joy because Jesus has defeated sin and death and we are free. We've been offered forgiveness and new life and we get to extend that new life
to all that we come in contact with. And so every week we come to this table to remember this new life that we've been given, that although we are thirsty throughout the week, we come to be satisfied by Jesus here at the table with his body and his blood. And so Chris Hamilton and I are going to serve you communion here in a second. On your um, handouts, I'm going to read from you from 1 Corinthians, the institution of communion, and then invite us to share together the mystery of faith. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so would you stand with me? And before you come to the table, would you recite with me the mystery of our faith, which is Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Please come to the table.